Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pictards Podcast. Alright, welcome back, Hoisters. This is the extended discussion for the Game of Thrones. If you would like a spoiler-free mini-sode, then go check your local podcast app or our website for the previous episode. This is Drew. I'm the pragmatic and bleeding heart cyclops of this podcast. Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. I'm Liz. I'm the spark plug and keeper of hot takes. I dole them out as I will. And I'm the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, snowbos, and spoilers. And this is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. A disclaimer, petard is a word, it is a real word, and petards are bombs. Look it up and read your Shakespeare. It'll be good for you. And we'd like to thank today's sponsor, the Biden Foundation, for ad-free listening. We're hoping Dr. Biden will join us for an episode in 2019. Here's a big old fuck you for crooked media, fuck your crooked piece of shit's ads, and fuck you, Bill Maher, for thrashing about the pop culture tar pit like the dinosaur that you are. If you'd like to contact us to sponsor a show or slander a rival, we're more than willing to do so for money. You owe us, and you can repay your debt by taking the survey. There is a link titled Survey in the show notes. Click on it and take our survey, and you could win one of two $25 gift cards to anywhere you want as long as they give out gift cards. And so section two is going to be our filmic analysis and interpretation of the pilot episode. And we're going to start off, as always, with our Crab Man Award. For any new listeners, the Crab Man is a small role for a character that is giving way more than they are taking, usually giving large contributions to our viewing pleasure. Mo, you're on a roll. You had the, you had the Crab Person, Crab Bureaucrat, Crab X Award last week. What do you got this week? It's tough because I want to pick the White Walker, which is in the very first scene, because they aren't really there for much longer. So I'm talk I'm like torn between that and the dead mama direwolf. Follow your heart, Mo. I'm gonna go with the direwolf only because that was a really awesome moment that I almost forgot about. Just because it goes to shape so much on. Um, Mo, I'm gonna change mine because <laughs> I think you're right. I think the White Walker in the first scene. Yeah is very minor, but is very, very, very important, not only to the pilot, but to the show in general. Like the little girl in, in particular, right? The White Walker, and even the one guy who cuts the head off and throws it. Like, it's very minute. Like, they're not in there a lot. And, like, they don't even get mentioned, like, barely the rest of the show. Very long shadow being cast. I'm going to say the dude that saw the White Wire, the White Walkers. I think he he's in he's in the episode a little bit more, but I think he contributes also to the Stark family dynamics that Liz loves so much. And also he's he's giving us that taste of the fantasy world. I said the dead deer because I liked the little wolf puppies and I appreciate that she fed him or he. It was a male deer. Well, if we're going to vote, I think I'd change it to the White Walker. All right. Two against one. So it looks like split decision. The White Walker is going to go home with the Crab Man Award. All right, Hoister, so now we're going to move into the most valuable part of the pilot. And for any new listeners, this is anything on screen, off screen, whatever we decide was our favorite part of the pilot. Liz, you want to jump in there? I was going to say the the Stark family dynamic. It's kind of broken up since this is an ensemble cast. And anytime it was the Starks particularly is really when I was interested. I love Arya a lot. And I, I like 
just kind of, you know, the father-son and then mother-daughter relationships that are kind of scattered throughout it. Yeah, Arya was definitely a crab girl. I'm surprised she wasn't nominated. If you know as much as Drew and I know... That's what I was thinking, too, because I was like, it's hard to nominate people you know who, like, become their own later. Oh, okay. I thought you only watched the three episodes, so you have you have some insider knowledge. I have Twitter. Oh. <laughs> she knows things. Okay, good, Liz. At least you, you're keeping a breath. I've, like, known people who care. I know, and also there's that one <laughs> meme going around of, like, all the Trump cabinet members who have been kicked out, and there's Arya Stark in the background with her little tiny sword striking through their names. I agree with you, Liz. I think that, like, the Stark family is, like, the focus of, like, the northern plotline, and that it was kind of what I was saying in, like, the first part of the show, which is they define their characters through their relationships with each other, and it never seems, like, forced... You know, and one part that you didn't mention was I think that the dynamic between, like, Ned and his wife is also a strong part of the Stark family dynamic. And they seem like they seem like a legit couple, even though it is, like, based on, like, middle century, like, gender norms and whatnot. Like, it seems like they're, like, a committed couple that, like, make these decisions together and that, like, they value each other, too. So it's a nice. Even though there's a bastard child. Yeah, even though there's a bastard child. There's drama. Watch the show, Jimbo. To add to that, too, it just showed how earnest the Stark family is in the way that they treat Jon Snow, like the siblings themselves. They don't really treat him differently. They're not brats. Like, they look up to him in the same way they would a, any brother. That's a, it's a good driving force. I think it's a nice, like, um, lever of, like, telling the story because, I mean, we're in the spoiler section. This is the Mozone. Um, the focus of, like, the next seven seasons are, like, the Stark children. Like, they are, like, the catalyst for so many important things that happen over the next, like, nine years. It was really fun to see them when they were all young. I, I was, like, watching this, and I was like, everyone is so young. They were so little. Bran is so little. I think if we go and look at a lot of our best pilots, is the pilot episode a huge focal point for the actual entire series? I think off the top of my head, Breaking Bad, I guess, kind of. But a lot of them, you probably just diverge. The Shield, definitely. The Shield is is the one series I can think of where that, that pilot episode is huge for the entire series. And it seems like from from the research I did do, Game of Thrones, the pilot is always important. So that like that that gives a ton of credit. Yeah, that's very true. That's interesting, but that is true, yeah. The details and mythology of this show, both as a reader of the books and as like a big fan of like the preceding six seasons, um, a lot of it was there. Um, and if you're a reader and a fan, you're very much rewarded. But even if you're not, I kind of feel like there's enough world building and enough like background between the king and Ned and between like the bastard son and the mom and between like a lot of characters, including Daenerys, that you were drawn into like this new different world. But if you were into the books and into like the mythology and the appendices and the graphic novels, like, man, it was a good pilot, like in terms of like setting things up and rewarding like attention to detail. Yeah, because it's a risk doing a show like this with with such a big fan base already to, to ruin it and to lose interest right off the bat because you didn't it didn't live up to everyone's expectations. I'll do mine. I think the opening is very cool it, it, to draw back to our favorite Shakespeare play, Hamlet. There's a really cool thing that's going on in the in the opening scene where they don't have any of the main characters. It's all kind of the side characters. You know, the Godfather does it. And those side characters kind of build the world 
you know, the thing that Hamlet does is it was a play. And so you had to, it's kind of hard to convince an audience that there's ghosts. So for Hamlet, like they have to convince the audience that there's a ghost in this pilot, even though the rest of the pilot doesn't seem to be inside of a fantastical world, they're convincing the audience that this is like some type of fantastical world that's going to be very violent. I think what it does too is it adds a sense of tension to the rest of the pilot. Because I mean, if you're talking about the opening, I assume you're talking about them being in the north and the snow and yeah, with the White Walkers. I think it like adds a sense of tension because there's a horror element to it too. And so for the whole rest of the show, like this is how it starts. You don't know how it'll end. So I mean, there's a little bit of like what could happen. And then the very last scene is also horrific in a different way. So I think they kind of bookend each other. It's a very grounded fantasy. Like you're not seeing like wizards running around. It still feels much more relatable than some high fantasy can. Not saying that high fantasy can't have very human stories and and tell um, really fantastic, you know, grounded stories. But sometimes it's very easy to get lost in, you know, the magical world. Um, Going back to like Harry Potter, like the original Harry Potter is beautiful and wonderful, but everything after it just kind of seems so convoluted and stuck in its own weird wizarding world. And it's very impressive that Game of Thrones is able to do this world building without getting like tangled in that mess. Like one thing I focus on, like when you say it is like, there have to be rules, you know, so that things are grounded and so not everything's fantastic. Um, Gene Roddenberry kind of famously named like the engine of the Starship Enterprise, like the MW drive. Anybody want to guess? It stands for magic wand drive because science fiction is not that far away from fantasy. Like, you know, you just have to set up a set of parameters or rules for the viewer, for the audience to grasp onto, because if there are no rules, then anything is possible. Anything's fantastic. And like nothing matters. There's no stakes. So I think that this show does do a good job of mixing fantasy like, you know, some more supernatural aspects while still having stakes. I agree with that. You just feel immersed in it instantly. And anything is anything can go and you get that. You get that even in the first pilot or even in, in any way you're interacting with this story. But anyone can die. I like the juxtaposition between building the worlds in Westeros and then transitioning so smoothly to Daenerys and her plot line and, and how she becomes super important character in the future. What's her full title? Mother of Dragons, the Unburnt, Stormborn, Breaker of Chains, all the things. She just becomes every every social justice movement wrapped into one. Daenerys <laughs> could be on this pilot or on this podcast because she has lots of titles before her name. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to add one to my to mine. It's Can never add, too break? late. It's never I'll too pick late. One of hers. Mine's gonna be Mother of Cat. <laughs> I just love this whole story. I love Game of Thrones. I love the way you feel so invested in the characters and their relationships. And I can talk about the Red Wedding, right? But just the way when I I can like remember where I was when I read the Red Wedding, like I can remember what I was doing, what was happening, the way I felt like it was the and I, I speak, I guess that speaks more to the novel, but even watching it. Do you think that the show has lived up to the books? Do you think that um, they're better like in because that's always a thing where it's like, is the movie better than the book? The book is always better. Is that the case here? I think the show has exceeded the books. Yeah, It's fixed things that the books were doing poorly. And based on the type of narrative it tells, like as a television show, it was forced to make choices and make good decisions that the books are not. Like the fourth and fifth uh, Game of Thrones books are just like unedited 
technically there's another book out there that he probably will never complete. But do you feel like as a fan, you need that book or you will be happy with probably what HBO is going to end it on? I'm happier with the show. Yeah, me too. I wouldn't read the book. But isn't he playing? He plays a pretty big part in the writing and the they collaborate a lot. The two producers slash writers slash like showrunners, they conceived the first four seasons with Martin. After the fourth season, they stayed really faithful to the book in the fifth season. And then the end of the sixth season and seventh season and the next season, the eighth season, they have gotten his blessing. We'll see what we'll see what they're made of. My friend served them at. A pizza place in Brooklyn. It was George R. R. Martin and the two producers of Game of Thrones. And they were having pizza in Brooklyn. I'm like, did you ask him what happens? I would have just been harassing the man. So apparently George R. R. Martin is like very notorious for like not getting his work done. He gets really into the NFL season, which again, he doesn't owe us anything. He's a creative and he's already made a lot of people happy with these books. So like we shouldn't harass him in public. But basically he gets mad if people ask him about this stuff. Um, he will oftentimes induct people into the brotherhood without banners which is a group of characters in the books by telling them to go buy him a philly cheesesteak and so if you run into george r R. martin and if he's in a good mood and you don't harass him he will make you a character in the book if you go find a philly cheesesteak buy it bring it back to him and he then knights you with the philly (laughs) cheesesteak you got like a quest i would have done that i would have done that for sure i just want to know if Arya gets to kill who she wants to kill Spoiler, Arya becomes a straight-up gangster killer. All right, we got to bring it back, you guys. You guys are killing me now. We're already in the literary analysis of the characters. We we have already transitioned, and we were ta- talking about the book. We were about to dive into what I wanted to talk about. Get in there, Jimbo. Go. So I know the point of view of the book. Each chapter is from a different character's first-person perspective. That's correct, right, Drew? Yes. That makes it kind of challenging to do a pilot because they obviously didn't follow that. They they did not follow one character in the first episode. The the pilot does kind of follow the way the book does it because, yeah, it would be like, here's a Ned Stark scene. And it's like 15 or 20 pages. You see what Ned Stark sees in a Ned Stark chapter. And then the next chapter is a Tyrion, the imp chapter. And so that's exactly what the episode did. We are the omniscient audience like we see everyone's point of view to build a greater story the way that martin tells it in the novel is he tells the story slowly and sequentially through different people's points of view so i mean the narrative drive is through the pieces of information that ned learns throughout the first season and throughout the first book but he's never fully like we can kind of guess and you know figure out the mystery before ned does because we see everyone's point of view Because, like, chapter one is Ned, and chapter two is Tyrion, and chapter three is Sansa, you know? And so that was kind of, like, what the pilot did. Okay, so so you're saying the the pilot episode is maybe, like, the first three or four chapters? Almost. Shortened, severely shortened for time and for narrative reasons. Uh, A criticism of the the later books is that, like, point-of-view characters never die. So, like, you can kind of figure out, like, who's going to die and who's not by who gets to be a point-of-view character later on in the series, because they just don't die. That's why the fourth and the fifth books aren't great. Like, people thought everything was so brutal, like the Red Wedding and all these other things that Martin was doing to his characters, and then they all just came back to life. So, boo. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah. I'm glad I am glad I said not watch. They don't come back to life in the show, though. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's why the show's better. I kind of want to talk about, like, especially for Jimbo and Lizzie to, like, a certain extent is... Talk to me about, like, who you feel is, like, the protagonist and the antagonist, 
And then for all of us, I want to talk about how the theme of sex and power is handled in the show. I think the entire Stark family is the protagonist. Yeah, totally. I, I think this is an, an ensemble show. I, I think uh, Jon Snow is obviously, you know, someone they focus on a lot, but it it's just really, I mean, once again, I haven't watched the show, but I've, I've followed it just because I know so many people who really love it. And the Stark family really is kind of the glue that holds the show together in regards to characters, because that's who still the show is following. Um, and I do think that's kind of an interesting concept to have so many main characters and so many main characters that aren't always together. That's a good point. They're able to build these like parallel storylines and there's definitely moments where they barely miss each other in the woods or cross paths without realizing that they're so close to each other. But so far, because they'll go years without seeing each other. You kind of just assume based on how old they look and what's been happening, how long they've really been separated and how they can reconnect. This show like really does well in like delaying gratification much more so than like Lost, for example. Like, by the time, like, they were answering shit with loss, like, people were kind of tired of it. <laughs> but, like, people live for, like, the Stark kids to get reunited, like, in later seasons because oh. it takes forever. It takes so long. It's that slow build. And it is always, like, the antagonist, I think, shifts to answer, like, the second part of your question. If You asked about the antagonist too, right, Drew? I mean, I look at everything. Like, I look at comics. But, you know, a good a good comic book hero, a good comic book protagonist has multiple runs and they have multiple villains that they face off against. And I see this as very similar. Mm -hmm. It's like them versus the world. Right. At this point. Is the world and the society of Game of Thrones the antagonist of the Stark family? Like, are they doomed from the beginning based on the pilot? I feel like maybe yes. It's also very clear from the pilot that they're they're different. Like, they, they defy a lot of norms. Um, the biggest one being how Ned Stark treats his wife and his daughters, in a way. Um, kind of going into the dangling threads of, you know, sexism and, and, and you know, the power dynamics of sex within the show. Um, but I, I think that setting that up so early in the pilot to say that, like, the Stark family – they just do things differently. They see the world differently. They're they're not nearly as harsh as as the rest of this land is is really important to their development. I would say the title also kind of answers your question as well. It's the Game of Thrones. So it's, you know, there's there's obviously gonna be a lot of competition all fighting for the thrones. And the one character, Daenerys, I think has to be a protagonist yeah. as well. I was gonna mention I mean, that. she's she gets a lot of she evolves into her own I don't think it's like a straightforward, like just one protagonist. But I mean, the Stark family is definitely, definitely there. Because I don't think protagonist and hero are the same thing. And I don't think antagonist and villain are the same thing either. But I do think that Daenerys' brother is kind of the villain of the pilot. Because everyone else gets a little bit of dimension. What about the twins? The twins kill a boy at the end. They're definitely villains. Yeah, no, the Targaryens are, I mean, the Lannisters, the Lannisters are villains. Lannisters are villains. But they're, they're villains, you, you, you see some of their relationship dynamics. You see, like, no relationship dynamics with Daenerys's brother, other yeah. than that he is sexist, he gropes Sadistic. his own sister. He's so gross. Without her consent. The other one, at least, there was consent. Um, <laughs> and he's just... Like, he doesn't have any redeeming qualities of, like, why you should kind of care yet. I feel like the only redeeming quality that the Lannisters have is Tyrion. 
Oh, for sure. Like he's the only thing that makes you want to root for them as a family. I forgot to mention it, and it's kind of a dangling thread, but there was a moment that really hit me watching it when Tyrion is talking to Jon Snow, and he more or less says, like, you need to own that you're the bastard because the rest of the world knows it, so wear it like your armor and no one can hurt you. And it's very clear he's talking about the fact that he is a dwarf, you know, in this world, which being a dwarf in our world is hard enough, like suffering from any disability, let alone suffering from disability in like the 1400s. And I thought that was a really powerful moment because I know within my own life, I very much have gotten to the point where I I kind of own it. I own the fact that, you know, I have a chronic illness and I like to make fun of it. And so that was something I really, really related to. And I really loved that moment a lot. Some of the best lines in the show are from Tyrion. I will say this, though, for what Jimbo said, um, the title Game of Thrones, like the titular line does come from Cersei, like the the blonde queen. Um, because what she says to Ned in a later episode is, in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. To the stage, Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. Oh, Stormy lost the lawsuit this week. Um, yeah, so there, there's a Stormy update. So um, a judge just awarded or just um, ordered Stormy to pay $393,000 to Donald Trump this week. What? Well, here's there's a little more to it. So basically, while Stormy... Um, broke the terms of the NDA, which was never official or legal, and she'll probably win that lawsuit. While that was all happening, she accused Donald Trump of hiring a person to threaten her in a parking lot. And there just wasn't a lot of evidence to back up this claim. And so that lawsuit was tossed out in federal court, and the judge ordered Stormy to pay for Trump's lawyers. Trump's lawyers are very expensive. Um, Some of them are paid as much as $800 an hour. And so they were asking for $800,000. The lawyer said, no, just pay $393,000. And the bigger Trump Daniels lawsuit is still hasn't been settled. So there's, there, she won't pay that money before that other lawsuit is settled. And if she wins that other lawsuit, she probably won't end up paying Trump a dime. So this is a symbolic loss. But you can't just say that people are ordering people to threaten you in a grocery store parking lot. Why is our law system just so darn complicated? (laughs) It's just concurrent lawsuits. There's like three at this point. And we need a title for this section, Liz. So Stormy keeps dangling. Stormy keeps dangling. We're not. No, we can't change it, man. She's unless. Unless she comes on the show and tells us why. Or unless you get on the survey and you're like, I don't like that name. But it's up to you. We should actually, maybe we should drop Dr. Biden and go for Stormy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Poor Jill. She's really, she's really working on her Twitter following, but she's once again just overshadowed by Stormy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Stormy's doing great. She's got the PMP bump, you know, and so if, if Dr. Jill <laughs> wants that bump, you know, she knows where to find us. So here's my dangling thread of interest. Um, this show from seasons like one through three really got dinged for this thing called sex position. So exposition is when you just say some details and you say some information to keep the story going. And, you know, Jimbo and I have really hated on shows that have exposition dumping as in a bunch of characters say a bunch of information, but it's just kind of like it's out of the blue. Um, Game of Thrones solved this problem by having what people started calling sex position. So they shared a lot of information while mostly women were nude, um, almost exclusively women being nude. Like there's a major character introduced in episode two or three 
who is like the finance minister, but he made his money with like whorehouses and brothels. And so a lot of like his scenes end up happening while in the background, there's a lot of female nudity. Um, And, you know, the show responded after about season four, the sex position was drawn way back and there was even some, some dude butts thrown in. So let me ask this of our, mm-hmm. our female panelists, you know, because we have some gender equity today. Um, what do women want out of their sex position? And, you know, is it is it hanging dongs? I don't know. I'm asking the, I'm asking our panelists. Or how do you feel about sex position in general? Mo, I'm going to let you go first. Get in there, Mo. I mean, I'm still wrapping my head around this concept of sex position in general. All right, Mo, do you want to see their dongs when they talk about their their problems with their brother? I like how Liz gently tossed it to Mo and asked her opinion, and then Jimbo was just like, dong talk. Yep, I'm, I'm getting to the point. I, I just, I don't think, I don't feel affected by nudity that much in general. Nudity is like very much I, not a thing for me. Now, like the the rape and the violence, that that is a different type of environment to be delivering information. But the nudity and the kind of well, you know, Tyrion told his whole life story while there was just like boobs and butts. Yeah, I get, I didn't think much of it because I was probably like, yeah, he's a dwarf in the fourteen hundreds and he's rich. Of course, he's going to be getting laid all the time by a bunch of whores, or I'm sorry, sex workers. You know, like. <laughs> Well, they, they, I mean, fourteen hundred. Like that, that did but. some character building for him as well, Drew. Like, so I mean, it was. I would. I would argue that that instance was not necessarily a sex position as much because there's like there was like four more nude women running into the scene at the end. I felt really happy for him at the very end. It was unnecessary. Well, I would say it builds it builds into his character. Like that's that's the lifestyle he lives. He's he's the dwarf brother, and he lives his life in a drunken. Orgy. <laughs> I will say that it it is a little bit concerning if the only way you can get important information across is when there's also boobs on the screen. <laughs> like like be more confident in your writing, guys. You 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 did great. You don't you don't need those breasts. You're right. I hadn't thought of it as insulting to the audience, but I mean, yeah, do they think that people won't listen to like important information unless there are boobs around? That might be telling us something about HBO viewers. It might <laughs> that isn't interesting. I don't think HBO knows that their viewers are different than what their viewers were in like the 90s when this started. That's fair. Like, I think HBO also needs to do a survey in a focus group. Well, think about Sex in the City, though. That it kind of rose in popularity. But also think about like Sex in the City's sex looks so different. And I mean, I get that it's an older show, but it's also a show geared for women. And yeah. I'm not saying that Game of Thrones is not for women i'm saying that this is very much a male gaze show yeah i agree jimbo likes to look up the creative teams and the gender splits oh i'm sure there's no women behind the camera there are no women behind the camera in the first yeah. two seasons of game of thrones tell. at all in the first two seasons they get a little bit better gender equity in terms of like directors in seasons six and seven but seasons like one through five are not great in terms of Women being involved in the producing side. Wow. That's also terrifying to me. And it also kind of gives a little bit of insight. Here's my thing about rape in media is sometimes, yes, it will further a story. But nine times out of ten, showing it does not further your story. Mm-hmm. I want to say this about this rape scene was like I was pretty intensely uncomfortable like during was it. it. With, was it Daenerys? Yeah, Daenerys. Her, like, her rape yeah. scene. Like 
I was very uncomfortable throughout the whole thing. It's immensely uncomfortable. Isn't that the preferred outcome of a rape scene? Like, that your audience is, like, very uncomfortable and, like... My thing is... My thing is just... And maybe this is just a, a perspective not a lot of people share. Is, like, especially... I have this problem sometimes in games, too. Like, this happens in my world. I don't need to see it. I The implication is enough. Like, I know how disturbing it is from the implication alone. I don't need the gratuitous seeing it. Yeah, I I would completely agree with Liz. You have you have the um there was a couple soldier women like twerking and then these two guys fought over them and killed themselves, but they're just having sex in the middle of everyone. We know what they're doing when they ride off on horses, like we got it. There's this as well. Um the actress Daenerys, um she about a year or two ago did come out publicly and did express the fact that she was pretty unhappy that she felt that she was implicitly forced into like being nude in the pilot. She, she doesn't, she's not nude for the rest of the show. Um, and she pushed back after the pilot. Um, she was actually recast because they had a different Daenerys. And then this, I can't remember her name, but she's very talented. Um, she was in solo too, but, um, she did express that she was unhappy about the, um, nudity in the pilot and that she didn't have like kind of the, what she felt was like the empowerment at the time to stand up to like the directors and showrunners, but the directors and showrunners apologized and they said that, yeah, it was shitty at the time. Cause usually women on these, as part of these big ensembles are making the, the least amount of money oh, and for they're sure. getting paid the least, but they're, they're like bearing everything, which again, like, I don't care how comfortable you are w- with your body, knowing that millions of people are watching you there. That has to take a toll on you. Like at least a little bit. There's probably at least hundreds of people watching her like while they're filming. It's not it doesn't seem fair. They they recast Daenerys? No, that's the same Daenerys. No, there was a different one before her. Yeah, there was a pilot there was a pilot shot about a oh, year before. Oh, got it. And then they re there's actually one scene that they kept from it and the rest of it they they completely re reshot. I like her as an actress. It just like it is kind of disturbing to think that but that's that's an issue i have with just hbo shows in general is sometimes they're just like we don't have fcc regulations we do what we want and it's just like (laughs) and it's like you don't need to be the rebel child like we're here it's fine i i could add this liz and and you may or may not appreciate it but but we did dream on a couple weeks ago and that show came out in the early 90s on HBO and you can see the growth of HBO over like a 20 year span because in Dream On there was a nude woman and the male character was completely fully dressed like going down on her oh yeah and at least at least in this show like there's no guys with their bottoms out but there's at least a bunch of dudes with their shirts off so i mean like there's like a shift going on we're you know we're not quite there yet but a- but hbo is has grown slightly. Oh, no. And I absolutely believe HBO has grown. I have no doubt in that. I, I do still think they should do focus groups. But as somebody who works <laughs> in marketing and media, I think everybody should do focus groups. Right. So that's not really as much of a hot take as anything else I've said. Yeah. So HBO, if you need help with these focus groups, contact me. I have a, a SurveyMonkey account and I can I'm more than willing to help you out. <laughs> but maybe the audience wants the nudity. If it helps with the the rape scene with Daenerys, I think in the book it wasn't that graphic. She actually was excited. They they do this weird thing in the book because I, I reread the books. They do this weird thing where like they kind of do like some kind of metaphor where like she gets more used to riding the horse 
that her husband That's gave her is. without a saddle, and then she also gets more used to having sex with her husband. But yeah, it's Ew, like this weird kind of. Worse? He writes it as like this: her coming into her sexuality. I'm just kidding. And she That's actually, up, yeah, I don't know. It's like I don't remember it being so uncomfortable. I remember the scenes with her brother, the parts with her brother being really bad. But with Cal Drogo, I don't remember. I don't know. Like, if anything, HBO made it feel more violent than the books actually made it out to be. I think my 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 last point is going to be back to my first point where it's just it, it's unnecessary. Like if you have if you're good enough at your writing, people will care about your world building. People have cared about world building since the dawn of high fantasy because all J.K.R. Tolkien is is world building. And so from there, we will move on into section four. Drew is going to be hosting our petard trivia. And for any new listeners, this is our fun and nonsense section of the podcast. Go ahead, Drew, take it. So today I have five questions for Petar Trivia with three contestants. Um, once again, the judge of Petar Trivia, me, is uh, the final arbiter of, you know, who wins, who loses. Uh, all the questions are kind of closest answers or most exact answer. There's one bonus question. Okay. Um, and... This one is for the number one challenger because right now, uh, your, your podcast host, Drew, is holding that, that belt. And now we need a number one challenger. I took it from zero last week and zero. Feel free to mail me, uh, that belt and that trophy. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, Liz, your buzzer is going to sound like this. Meow. Uh, Mo, your buzzer is going to sound like this. Ding, ding. Okay. Usually you have more effort, Mo. Ding, ding, um, ding. I wasn't committing fully to, to the ding. <laughs> okay. Um, and Jimbo, your buzzer is going to sound like this. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. sci-fi? Okay, cool. Okay, so first question. Um, this is a closest answer wins. The filming of the pilot for HBO was the culmination of how many years of script writing and development work for Benioff and Weiss? Ding, ding, ding. Sci-fi. Uh, that was Mo first. Ten years. Jimbo, you rang in next. Uh, three years. And Liz, you just want to throw something out there? I was going to say six. Okay, Jimbo's going to get the point. It was four years. Jimbo, for one bonus point, how many pilots does Game of Thrones have? You mean how many times did they record a pilot? How many pilots does Game of Thrones have? People that operate aircrafts? I I don't understand what? your question. I'm going to, um, two. Two is the correct answer, Jimbo. We, we are on we a podcast about pilot episodes of television shows, so yes, I was referring to that industry term so jimbo jimbo is off with two whole points i also knew i think i think there's two dragons because one of them died so i figured there's possibly two pilot dragon flyers uh did did the third dragon die okay i have no idea maybe not never mind (laughs) has it hatched yet i I, i've never i've not watched the show what is happening right now jimbo okay number two i but it sounds like i have a two-point lead Yes, it does. Here, for, for the second question, closest and most complete answer is the correct answer. What administrative job is offered to Ned Stark? Ding, ding, ding. Get in there, Mo. Hand of the King for Robert Baratheon. Every single word right. Okay, so Liz is just... Liz, you still there? I think your screen's frozen. I'm, I'm still here. It's been frozen. That's rude. <laughs> Listen, some of us don't like Game of Thrones that much, okay? I agree. All right, it's, it's, okay. <laughs> Liz, you might like this one because this one involves pop culture and comic book movie minutiae, which you know you guys know I like. Okay, listen carefully. Closest answer wins. 
how many principal actors, and when I say a principal actor, I mean uh, an actor with a full name in the credits, as well as having a full character name, so not extras, how many principal actors have appeared in comic book-based movies in the last five years? Sci-fi. Go ahead, Jimbo. So you're looking for a number? Yes, I am. Ten. Ten? Okay. Um, anybody else want to jump in? Meow. Get in there, I'm going to say three. Three. And Mo? Okay, I'll, I'll ding ding in. Um, I'll say four. Yeah, that's a way better guess. Mo, that is a better guess because the answer is five. <sighs> Listen to this. Jason Momoa. Oh, He's that's Aquaman. right. Yeah. Aquaman and Justice League. Okay. Jack Gleason, Joffrey Baratheon, was the little punk kid in Batman Begins. Oh. Oh my God, he was. My mind is just blown. Sophie Turner is Jean Grey in yes. the new X-Men movies. Yep. Peter Dinklage is Bolivar Trask in X-Men Days of the Future Past. And finally, Lena Headey, Cersei Lannister, is the bad guy in the 2011 Dread movie, which is also based on a 2000 AD comic book. Peter Dinklage is also in, in Avengers Affinity War. <gasps> You're right, he is. Do I get a point for that? No, but... <laughs> There's got to be a couple more, man. I feel like we I should feel like get Amelia Clark. to 10. Let's go to our next question. So, Mo, I believe you're tied up with Jimbo. Good job, Mo. Okay, so question number four. Um, the final season of Game of Thrones is going to premiere in April. The final season of Game of Thrones is only going to be seven episodes long, but each episode is going to be um, longer than the 60 minutes. How long are the final episodes that come out in April? Um, closest answer wins. If you exceed all this, can you guys be objective and tell me who rang in first? I feel like it was Jimbo. Go ahead, Mo. I didn't hear anything. No, it's fine. Jimbo, go ahead. Go ahead, Jimbo. <laughs> I know. It actually sucks to go first. 103 minutes. Okay. Mo? You said how, You said 110? Jimbo said 103. I think, I feel like I want to say it's going to be 90 minutes. Like hour and a half. I'm going to go two hours. So each episode is going to be about an hour and 20 minutes of content. So each each. So it sounds like I got that point. My my answer was. I said 90. Oh, you did say 90. 103 minutes is an hour and 40 minutes. It sure is. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Okay. All right. So Mo is taking a a razor thin lead. Uh Uh-oh. I'm just here for my participation (laughs) trophy. Yeah. We'll get one of those too. Okay. Liz has won a Petard trivia before, so she's she's uh I have sleeper. I think it was did I win it Titans or Rookie? The rookie. I think I won it Rookie because Drew won Titans. I did, and it mattered to me a lot. Okay. <laughs> I'm the one who cares the most, so it's nice that the That's the only thing that mattered about that pilot was that you won trivia for it. I mean, I also sort of I, I read your articles too, because like I'm compelled and it's Sorry. interesting, but I don't want to watch that show. Okay, last <laughs> last question. And Jimbo does this thing where he makes the last question worth more points to artificially inflate <laughs> the tension. I hate that. I hate it when you do that. Um, so this question is worth one point. And if you get it, you tie with Mo. And if Liz gets it, then Mo wins. And Mo, if you get it, you win. So that's all the possibilities. Which principal actor is famous for dying in lots of other shows and movies? Full actor name. Meow. Liz. Sean Bean. It is. Sean is Bean is very famous for dying in lots of things. The guy who plays terrible Michael question. Yeah. It's true. He dies in, in Lord of the Rings. He doesn't die in Jupiter Ascending, which is which is why that's such a bad movie. He only dies in good movies. He dies in Fellowship. Yeah. He dies in GoldenEye. 
he dies in a bunch of other things. Uh, British people who are and Australians who are more aware of Sean Bean's oeuvre and all this stuff make funny Twitter memes. All right, so uh, Mo walking away with a win, working her way back. Nice up. job, Mo. I'm pretty sure last week was the first time I've lost. We went over this last week. When else did I lose? Ari beat you. I'm pretty sure Drew beat you at least once. I don't think so. Ari definitely beat you. Go back and listen to Lost. Are you sure? <laughs> you go listen and tell me in the morning. Mo, you don't sound very sure. I listened to every episode like five times. <laughs> that is true. I okay. usually don't dispute Jimbo. Yeah, I believe you, Jimbo. I just like, really, in my heart, thought I was undefeated. <laughs> in your heart, you feel like a champion, Mo. And that's great. So that's the end of Tar cool. Trivia. Undefeated, Mona. Hoisters, if you can't tell by the plugs I'm about to announce, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for maybe a couple more minutes. As always, we'd like to thank Jake Drew for making our intro and outro music. If you would like some intro or outro music, contact Jake Drew. The link is in the show notes. Follow our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook group. Follow our blog and I shouldn't have to remind you, but go take the survey right now. You will influence our show. Take the survey and vote against Prop Quest for the Best. Yeah, if you don't like it, let us know. You can let us know. If you don't like Petard Trivia, let us know, because Petard Trivia was kind of a little uh, experiment as well. Haven't really had any feedback, so it's still here. Now that Drew's champion, I'm I'm willing to drop it. (laughs) I can go out on top. That's, That's okay with me. Um, come check out uh, our episodes at butwhythopodcast.com or butwhytho.com and check out our writings there as well. Good stuff. Liz, anything you want to plug? Uh, if you are for or against any of my Game of Thrones hot takes, feel free to at me on Twitter at Lizzie Lynn Garcia. I will happily debate you or block you. There'll be a link in the show options. notes. All right, now we're into some shop talk. Oh, and Hoisters, uh, Liz has, has officially joined the family. She's yep. she's going to be the Thank spark you. plug of the podcast. If if we need her, she's she said she's willing to hop in. It's true. Kind of help bail out Mo a little bit Thank so you, Mo Liz. can breathe. Or or bail out Drew, who missed some swaths of episodes here and there. Last night, I tried to do a transition for the last episode, and my mic was just had this enormous static noise, and it wasn't picking up my my voice at all. And so I messed with it. I couldn't figure it out. I adjusted all the settings. I uninstalled my my software. I reinstalled. I did all the, all these weird things. I I even went to a a podcast Facebook group that I'm in, and I posted a message and I said, "Hey, my mic's not working." Blah blah blah. Like, what can I try? And someone's like, "Well, it's probably you know it's probably broken." And so there's like three screws on my mic. I took the screws off and I checked it out. And I was looking around. I couldn't see anything wrong with it. I put it back in, plugged it in. It worked. Yeah, I'm also a member of that podcast group, and Jimbo, you dramatized the story a little bit more so than you did in that podcast group, but there's a lot of entertaining things that happen in that podcast group. I don't know how often you check it. I check it every time my mic isn't working, Drew. Okay. This one alt-right dude got into it with like a podcast provider and then turned and asked the whole group to get on his side, and he got dogpiled. It was, that was probably the most interesting <gasps> thing that's happened. That's my favorite. <laughs> I love when that happens. Yeah. That dude, I went, I actually listened to his podcast response and it was intense. And then he deleted the thread. It did not go the way he thought it would. Idiot. Hey, he learned a valuable lesson. Don't be a Nazi. Very, very solid advice. (laughs) It's the best advice anyone can really give you.
Well, good job. Good job, Jimbo. Glad you MacGyvered it all up together and made it happen. Yeah, so I'm never I'm, – I'm not going to travel with it. It's staying put. In fact, I'm thinking about buying an iRig, which is this fancy thing that you can connect to your phone, and it's a mic. It's very small. It's very nice, compact. We're not talking about personal lives, but messy and um, – and uh, Emma are having a good time playing together. I, I ran out on like three minutes of the podcast today because Tori texted me that um, Emma was like going crazy in her crib. Like she's become incredibly manipulative at 21 months. That's something for you to look forward to, Jimbo. Um, she's in the phase of just doing every single thing she can at bedtime. So she wants to go say goodnight to the baby. And then she wants to go say goodnight to mommy. And then she wants to go sit on the potty even though she doesn't have to pee. And then she wants to like go do all this stuff. So she is Testing already a manipulator. And so yeah. it will serve her well. Yeah, she's learning life. very valuable life skills. Jamie's already there, man. She's she's, already a, she's a manipulative baby. She, right now, luckily, all she really cares about is eating. We feed her about every two hours now, just because like if, if she sees anything that looks like food, she starts, she, she wants it. She, she won't, she won't let it out of her mind. She's, she's already, she's already acquired object permanence. So even if you hide the bottle from her, she's like, bullshit, dude, I know that bottle is behind that. <laughs> is she eating solid food yet? Yeah, she is. Oh, she likes peaches, man. She she would she would probably commit Game of Thrones acts for peaches. <laughs> you like feed her the last bite of peaches, and she's so pissed that there's like none. <laughs> wow, like there's no more. It's like what a bullshit, dude. You're gonna not give me more peaches? That's Tori's dad. Like took an apple off of Emma's tray. And I was like, if you eat that in front of her, she'll be mad at you for like an hour. Like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And I like, wouldn't do that. <laughs> he like kind of looked at me and looked at Emma and then just like put it back. And I was like, that was a good. <laughs> this is not going to end well. Oh, this one time I like ate the last part of a cookie that I thought that she didn't want off of her tray. Oh, and no. she saw me eat it. And she literally tried to put her hand in my mouth to get it out. And I was like, that is so intense. Like, I will not eat your food again. I don't think I ever grew out of that. I think I'm still like that when it comes to food. So I don't have a child, but I do have a cat. And it snowed really – like there was a huge snowstorm this weekend. And I just moved to North Carolina from Florida. So I put the leash on the cat, which already bad idea. And I made her go outside because I wanted Sp Spider to see the snow. And she hated it. And it was hilarious. <laughs> I'm a fan of cat leashes because friend of the show Vivian – um, she had her cat on a leash and she lived next to like some canyons in California. And so one time she like left something in her house. And so she like left her cat outside on a leash. She went into the house to get something. When she came back out, the cat was in the jaws of a coyote and she grabbed the leash and yanked and pulled the cat out of the coyote's mouth and the coyote ran away. So good for you for having a cat oh leash safety God. first. Because I was here, I mean, she's an indoor cat, so I was like, if she goes outside and she gets scared, the last thing I want her to do is to run. Because spiders scared of, like, anything and everything. And I knew deep down the snow wasn't going to go well, but I was also in that, like, it's snowing, don't you want to see the snow kind of, like, mood. And and now that the, the snow is ice and it's really hard to drive, I'm I'm over it. North Carolina really does not do well it. with, like, the cold weather. All right, Hoisters, I got to get going. So um, you guys can keep it going if you want. But every day we hoistling, Jimbo out. Every day we hoistling, Drew out. I'll see you guys later. Liz out. <laughs> every day we hoistling, Mo out. <laughs> non-conformist. Non-conformist. <laughs> Do we have new non-conformists in the group?